0: Are you ready to embark on a transformative journey of luxury and soulful living? Welcome to Create Your Sacred Space, the sensational new podcast hosted by Nikki Klug, a renowned luxury interior designer with an unwavering commitment to mental wellness and heart-centered living. In this captivating show, we shine a spotlight on the minds and hearts of the luxury home industry's finest. From visionary architects to talented designers, we explore their stories, their passions, and the profound connection between wellness and the spaces they craft. If you're a homeowner with a desire to create a sanctuary that nurtures your mind and spirit, or a design enthusiast who values the power of heart-centered living, this podcast is tailored to your soul's delight. Join Nikki and her esteemed guests as they peel back the layers of luxury design, revealing how spaces can elevate your well-being and touch your soul. Each episode is an inspiring journey of discovery, offering practical insights and tips to turn your home into a sacred haven. Discover the secrets behind spaces that heal, where elegance and mindfulness converge in a seamless dance. With Nikki's warmth and expertise, you'll be inspired to design spaces that not only please the eye, but also nourish the heart. Are you ready to transform your living experience? Subscribe to create your sacred space on your favorite podcast platform. And journey with us as we aim to design a life of beauty, luxury, and mindfulness. Tune in now and elevate your living experience like never before.
1: Hello, beautiful souls, and welcome to another transformative episode of Create Your Sacred Space. I'm your host, Nikki Klug, and today we have the pleasure of diving into the inspiring world of design with a true luminary in the field. Our guest is not only a visionary interior designer, but also the CEO of Everick Brown Design, a design firm that has been leaving its mark on residential and commercial spaces across the United States since 2008. Everick Brown is a name synonymous with elegance, sophistication, and a unique blend of modern classics with a global perspective. His journey in the world of design began with the establishment of Ebb Home, an upscale home furnishings and design studio located in Kisco, NY, and South Norwalk, CT. This venture was a culmination of Everick's rich life experiences as a fashion merchant and a connoisseur of fine home furnishings. But the story doesn't start there. For over 15 years, Everick traversed the globe, immersing himself in diverse cultures across Europe, Asia, Australia, and New Zealand. As a senior retail executive, he lent his expertise in merchandising and product development to renowned brands such as Duty Free Stores, Coach Leatherwear, and J. Crew, leaving an indelible mark on the world of fashion and design. Everett's design philosophy is a captivating fusion of fashion, design, and style, resulting in interiors that are nothing short of breathtaking. Describita's modern classic with a global perspective, his work has gray-said the pages of prestigious publications, including Architectural Digest, House Beautiful, and the New York Times. His talents have also shown brightly on television with a recent feature on NBC Open House. Today, we are honored to delve into the mind of this creative genius, exploring not just the spaces he designs, but the essence and intention behind each masterpiece. Everick is not only a designer, but a storyteller, weaving narratives through his designs that resonate with a global audience. Beyond the world of design, Everick is a loving husband and father of two, a graduate of Dartmouth College. His commitment to excellence extends beyond the realms of his professional life into the very fabric of his being. So, my friends, prepare to be inspired as we embark on a journey into the sacred space of Everick Brown, a true maestro of design. Welcome to the podcast, Everick.
2: Welcome, welcome, welcome. Oh my gosh, Everett, I am totally fangirling because you're the designer's designer and I'm so glad you said yes. I can't wait to dive into this conversation of luxury and sacred spaces with you.
3: Well, thank you for having me, but you're teaching me something. Who knew all of that? Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) You're so
2: humble. So listen, how do you define luxury?
3: So I heard that question was coming and um, it's interesting. I kind of give it a little thought, which is, is it an adjective or a noun? Mm -hmm. Like to me, it depends. Yeah. Um, But the first thing that comes to mind, quite honestly, is comfort. Um, But, you know, we can talk about luxury in terms of places, in terms of things. Mm -hmm. um, But mostly I think about how it makes you feel. Yes. Um, so it's situational.
2: Okay. I love that. I love that. My definition is everything is as it should be. And so mm-hmm. that encompasses a lot, right? I mean, yeah. it, it encompasses the fact that we all have different personalities and wants and needs and desires. Exactly. And, and how does that come to life for us? And that's what you and I do for our clients every day. We get to do that. And I always like to say that, you know, luxury... It doesn't have to mean expensive, although oftentimes it does because quality costs, right? Um, experiences, personalization, it, it costs, you know, um, but it's not, it doesn't require a dollar value to be attached, right?
3: Exactly. And that's what I mean by it's situational also. It's what I want it to be, which is basically what you just said. I could have luxury in my backyard. Mm -hmm. You know, there could be a pool of water, not a swimming pool, but a pool of water Mm -hmm. that brings me joy, brings me comfort. So all of a sudden it's luxurious.
2: Yeah, agreed, agreed. And so when you share your philosophy with your clients, like what pathway do you take them down? How do they find you? When do they come to you? What situations? Share with me.
3: Yeah, so um, most of my clients come to me via referrals, but we've also been fortunate enough that some people have discovered us, discovered us by seeing us on television or in the press, mm-hmm. um, but 90% of my clients come to me through a referral of another client or a friend. Yeah. And I was going to say the way I take clients down the path of really achieving, if it is luxury, um, i like to get into more of what is their vision.
4: Mm -hmm. Um,
3: If that vision is a dream, how we can achieve that. So it's really about communication. Mm -hmm. So it's understanding. I I like to look at design and what we do as a language. Mm -hmm. Um, So often people say, what's your style? Um, My style is a language, I'm multilingual, which means I can jump across several different styles and bring it together. Not all designers are multilingual, some only speak one language and that just means we're different. It doesn't mean I'm better because I can go from classic traditional to mid-century modern, it just means I'm different. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think a lot of what we do has to do with interpretation understanding um, something that a client wants and being able to help them get to that end result.
2: Right, to bring that vision to life that's in their head, that's living in their head, pulling it out and putting texture and form and shape to it, right?
3: Yeah, Yeah. and often that takes a couple of iterations because what I hear you say first may not be what you're really trying to articulate. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes you're saying something and you don't realize that you're articulating something different. Right. Um, and that's why the communication is so key.
2: And we have to go layers deeper too, right? Mm-hmm. A surface level. Oftentimes we say, well, why do you want to do that? And, and they're taken aback, you know? And right. I really wanna understand what goal they're trying to accomplish when they tell me they want this. You know, right. they may think that's the right way to get there, but I may have a different approach. I may get them there a different route. Right. Once more economical or, or more quick, you know, um, or or just a different approach that turns out to be better than what they imagined for themselves.
3: Or Or you may be where they're dreaming. You may have already been there so you can interpret it a little better than they can because they haven't arrived yet.
2: Yeah, yeah, I love that that thought too. That's true, it's true. That's why I love to travel. I love to experience different places and, and mm. cultures and architecture because we bring a perspective from around the world of how mm. others have solved you know, problems, have created solutions. I also mm. noticed that some of the hardest challenges have the absolute best solutions because you've had to think about it 15 different ways to come to the one way that's gonna work.
3: Right. No, and I agree. You just summed up my style, right? I'm modern classic okay. with a global perspective yeah. because it's all about perspective. Just because I think it's beautiful doesn't mean you think it's beautiful. I might think it's luxurious. You might not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, a Porsche is luxurious, right? But a Cadillac is actually more luxurious. Mm. But a lot of people will say that Porsche is more luxurious. And I'm like, well, you should ride in it. it depends on how you define it that's why we opened up i was like as a noun or an adjective Mm because luxury is a very personal thing and i also think it's a social construct right Right. so it it can be manipulated in a lot of different ways Mm -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm. absolutely so personally experiencing luxury um what would you say are some of your go-to's in the
3: design world for luxury Luxury items. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love Ralph Pucci. Okay. Um, if you want to get into, you know, uh, things that are considered luxurious. Um, but I, I love the things that are there, not because they cost a lot of money, but generally because they have an artistic approach mm-hmm. um, in what they do. Okay. Um And so it's not just a piece of furniture, it's an artistically designed and built piece of furniture or lighting or accessory.
2: Right, right. That's a good one. That's a good one. And would you say you're a very tactile person or are you drawn towards beautiful shapes and lighting like what? What draws you most into the
3: design? Ooh, ooh, that's a hard one. I generally start with lighting. I think Mm -hmm. lighting is everything, particularly when you're talking about health and wellness, Mm -hmm. Um, it's all about the lighting. And so I'm usually evaluating a situation based on light, but Mm -hmm. it really depends on where we start. If we start on paper, then I might be looking at shapes and spaces and how they relate to each other. But initially, when you said that, I was thinking about when I walk into a space, I'm first trying to get a barometer on lighting because I'm already thinking about color palette. Mm-hmm. So when I start with clients, I like to start with color palettes. And people are like, wait, you don't interview them? No, I want to see how they relate to colors because colors inform a lot. It not only informed, you know, whether you're warm or cool, it will also help give you a sense of how they make decisions. Yeah. Can they make emotional decisions? Mm. Um, because Colour, they could get caught emotion, up on, right? yeah. And then as you go through, like I always love, once I come up with a palette, the first thing a couple is going to do or a client is going to do is go, so what goes where? doesn't really matter. We got a color palette now. We're in the game
4: mm-hmm. and we can play mm-hmm.
3: however we want to play because we've studied this and set it up where everything relates to the other.
4: Mm
2: -hmm. I love that. I love that approach. I do that sometimes. Sometimes it's an art piece or an area Mm -hmm. or a fabric, but all of those are going
3: to have a color palette in
2: them. Yeah. And it's
3: emotional. You know, color is about EQ.
4: Yes.
3: And it's really complicated. I always say it's easy for a client to go, yes, no, when you're talking budget. Mm -hmm. It's black and white. Mm -hmm. But when you start talking about the emotional things like, Whether or not, you know, do I respond to something that's cushy or textured or is it color or is it space? It's like, ooh, I don't know. I mean, I know. But the clients don't always know. Yeah. Because now we're delving into their emotional EQ.
2: Right. We try to make it black and white in the sense that we have a very extensive questionnaire. It's like 70 something questions long, but we're Mm -hmm. pulling apart design styles and things that inform design like color and we say okay we have a palette of 24 25 different colors and it's just yes or no yes or no yes or Mm -hmm. no you know same thing with metal tones and wood tones it's like we're trying to Essentially deconstruct the design so that we right. can hold it back to their preferences. And we also will have, you know, partners take it separately so that we right. can marry. Let's see, if the- <laughs> see yeah. that's where
3: I love perspectives though. But I love <laughs> working with divergent perspectives. Mm-hmm. You know, he likes blue, she likes pink. Uh-oh. We got one on the warm category, one in the cool category. How are we going to mix them? You know, she likes to spend money. He doesn't. He's modern. She's classic. Mm -hmm. How do you take those perspectives and elevate the overall equation so that everybody's happy?
2: Did you know you were signing up to be a marriage counselor when you decided to be a
3: designer? (laughs) Absolutely not. (laughs) I think I signed up like most people. I thought I was an artist. I get to do whatever I I want. (laughs) I make things beautiful. But, you know, instead, what we really do is we create solutions. We problem solve. And I always say, you know, that's really what my job is. And then, oh, by the way, I deliver you a beautiful space. Absolutely.
2: We solve problems before. And it, without the client ever knowing, right?
3: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so,
2: um, and that's how I I understand, have come to understand my talent in this and that I'm a left brain and a right brain. Like I'm a creator, mm-hmm. but I can be very linear and very yeah. problem oriented, you know, solution oriented, problem solving all the time. I was a math major at one point. I, I floundered because that wasn't exciting either, but I was really good at it. So that's how yeah. I was steered, right? So-
3: Anywho, yes. Well, as quiet as this kept, it's funny. You say you were a math major Mm -hmm. as though that's very linear, but it's very irrational too. You need creative thinking to actually solve math problems, right? If you think about music and how lyrical music is, generally musicians are good at math because Mm -hmm. it's math, math, mathematical. Absolutely. Absolutely. Fascinating.
2: It is it really really is. I want to take a little bit of a turn and talk about biophilic design because we mm. talked about the emotions in design and and now we're understanding that there's neuroaesthetics aesthetics, you know, and and the the tendency for humans to long for nature. I did a survey in my private Facebook group that asked for people to show their favorite vacation photos. Mhm. In, in the comments section, right? And all the photos, as it turns out, were nature scenes. They were not mm-hmm. these fabulous hotels. They were not luxurious you know, yachts. They were nature scenes. And that really sparked something because of course me, I do love hotels and I do love architecture. So I expected some of that to be included in that. Um, but the average person is longing to be back one with nature. Don't you agree?
3: Yes, I do. That's because we're humans, yes. right? We're a part of the earth. And it's it's interesting because I'm really inspired by nature. I actually live in the woods. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the seasonal changes, mm-hmm. um, you know, whether it's fall into winter, um, into spring, into summer, each season has its beauty. Yes. Um, and, you know, I love a full moon and a crescent moon. Um, You know, that's a part of nature to me. Um, And it's also when you asked about, like, if I were to go on your Facebook and I was participating, mine probably would have a water scene. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, water is very much a part of the biophilic experience to me. Um, So we think trees and nature, um, but water, I think, is sort of underscores all of that as well. Yes. Um, and when you think of it, we're we're made up of a lot of water. So, of course, we would be attracted to it.
2: Yeah, agreed. Agreed. We are part of nature. We are in nature. And yes, we have these built environments. But I think it's our jobs as designers and architects and builders to incorporate those elements that we yeah. long and pray for. And they can show up in the most literal sense as, you know, house plants and you know, rapier shades. I mean, they can, they can show up in those forms, but they can also be referenced by the shape of the lighting, right? Mm-hmm. I, I like using a seated glass. I love that. Just like right. like you said, that yep. water flow feel and kitchen glass front doors, When appropriate.
3: Right. Yep. Or if you're like me, I drive my wife crazy. Uh-huh. I pick up pebbles and rocks everywhere I go. You are not bringing home another rock. Yes, I am. Sorry. Even it's because illegal of the ever? texture and the color. <laughs> oh, but there's so many. So you understand? <laughs> She's like, we can't take another rock. Like I even keep them in the cars now. But they oh just change gosh. your mood uh, if you touch. Uh, you know, a like a river rock. A
2: river rock. Yes. Yes. Yeah.
3: Yes. Yeah. I love that. I love that.
2: I, um, My my go-to thing is greenery. I just love plants and Mm -hmm. all of the shades. And my mom had a green thumb. I do not, but I aspire.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, and it's so funny. We're talking about nature. I always tell clients when we're talking about wood colors, Mm -hmm. most people think trees are brown. They are not. They're gray. True. Think about it. Think about it. (laughs)
4: everybody's running to the
3: window (laughs) like oh my god right so this is you know as people talk about from a color standpoint we're moving out of gray I'm like why would anybody do that it's such an important part of Mm -hmm. who we are in terms of nature creating a biophilic environment Um, but we don't think of it that way we have a tendency to think that wood is blonde Like now we've stripped it down and we might be staining it, but its natural state is very gray. And, you know, if you really get into colors, there's a real small difference between gray and brown, by the way. Right. But. No, I
2: agree. I think gray is a staple now. I think it's here to stay. Now, hopefully we won't continue to see gray on gray on gray. However, gray is neutral, And um, I love that black is is getting a punch now too.
3: Yeah. Um, I love black and green
2: yeah i'm feeling green these
3: days and i I did a lot of market when we ran into each other but i was like what's with the green like all of a sudden
2: yes yes i love it i love it the deep forest greens Mm -hmm. kelly green was a couple years ago but yeah it's all shades now
3: or um there's uh the little green a new paint um resource they have obsidian green
2: obsidian green that's
3: fabulous I'm writing that
2: down you said the little paint
3: company it's called the little green the little Little green Green. it's a new paint company they're on the level of a feral and ball okay or um you know if you do the CSPs from Benjamin Moore yes yes um but it's beautiful rich colors Mm -hmm. but they have one called obsidian green that I'm obsessed with
2: I can't wait I can't wait to see that so tell me, Eric, what are you up to? What, what's new on the horizon for you?
3: Look, we're just trying to survive, but no, everything <laughs> is good. We're blessed. We're yeah, busy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're actually working on a church on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. Love it. Um, we're engaging in work with uh, City Center Performing Arts in New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, and then outside of that, we have residential projects in Martha's Vineyard. Um working on one in Oak Bluffs, another one in East Chop. Um, we have a project in Beverly Hills, one in Studio City out on the West Coast. So mm-hmm. it's it's been good.
2: That's so good. I love it. I love it. I love that our work takes us where it takes us, right? It's so yeah. like you said, referral base is how I've gotten my business and we know everyone everywhere now. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it exactly. Doesn't stop. It doesn't stay contained, and so working on a project in New York City, which I'll get to visit next week when I'm there, and as well as California, like it—it it just really is. It feels that need, that longing and desire in me to travel. So it's yeah. tally. Right
3: no. And I always tell people, mind the business where you want to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, the reason why we're in Martha's Vineyard is because five years ago we we're like. I would love to be up here all summer long working Mm -hmm. and socializing with purpose. Mm -hmm. And so as a result, we've had a half dozen projects on Mm -hmm. Martha's Vineyard. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, then that stretches out. I forgot a project. uh, I have one in Boston. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they just start to come. But, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not unlike trying to network because that's really how we get business. You have to mine your business where you want to be. Right, right. And that's why
2: I'm in Houston a lot. That's where all my family is.
3: Yep. So, that's why I'm in LA. Yeah. That's where all my family is.
2: So so right. we've kind of taken a turn about to talk about the business of design. And so I think our listeners would be interested to know. Um you know, they followed me and my career path. Oftentimes, um, they they are a little bit interested because they're in entrepreneurs as well. So let's mm-hmm. let's get into it for a minute or so. Um, when you and I ran into each other at High Point, I was explaining to Jess, my full time designer, how African Americans there's, there's been this push to make us feel more welcomed in and mm-hmm. at home in these showrooms because it had been a thing where it was like. Well, they don't talk to me or they don't ask up what I need. And um you were like, well, wait a minute. Okay, but let's look at this. Is it because you're not introducing yourself? Is it because you're <laughs> not making your intentions known? So please feel free to expand on that conversation right now.
3: Yeah, and just to help give it a little more context, we were talking about high point in particular. So just to set it up, high point is a market. Um, that has been primarily buyers. And by that, I mean, big box retailers who come in and buy a whole bunch of things. So that used to be at one point, 100% of the market. Then it fell to about 60%. Well, today it has flipped to where 65% of the market at high point, meaning the shoppers are interior designers. Mm -hmm. Um, But you still have manufacturers who are set up to meet the needs of big box retailers, not interior designers. So what I find is, and I'm actually sitting um, on an advisory board down at High Point addressing um, this confusion. What I find is sometimes as a designer, um, forget race, just as a designer, we walk into a showroom and we don't understand that this showroom is not trying to meet my needs. They're trying to attract a Bloomingdales or a Macy's, not an interior designer. And why? Because Bloomingdales will drop $100,000 at market. Mm -hmm. An interior designer might come in and take a picture and maybe go have somebody knock off whatever they took a picture of, right? That's what the manufacturer thinks. Um, So it's really important, I think, as shoppers to market, particularly buyers of color whether you're interior designer or buyer to state you know what it is you want to do you're interested in dropping fifty thousand, a half a million whatever it might be i think where the conversation got interesting between us is i said you don't even have to have money what you need are plans right a vendor plan who are the vendors you want to see how much you think you're going to spend with each of those vendors class plans What are the things I'm gonna buy from each of those vendors? Am I buying sofas, chairs, coffee tables, lighting? What is it? And Mm -hmm. then it's just looking at my overall business plan. How much am I buying? Mm -hmm. So is it you know, my goal is to spend ten thousand dollars, a hundred thousand, a half a million? So I don't have to walk into market with a check in hand, but I could have a business plan that states to the salesperson or Sales rep or owner that I have intentions of this year spending a hundred thousand right. dollars. And here are the five projects that represent that. I can spend it here or I can spend it with another vendor.
2: Right, right. I love it. I love it. Because so many times as artists, right, <laughs> we can get caught up in our emotions. Mm. And um and and so yes, we need to be able to think about this as the business that it is and approach it in that manner with numbers and real, like you said, plans, real strategies on how to serve our clients. And so that has been part of this entrepreneurial journey of balancing that emotional, you know, driven and and beauty and, you know, the best, the best, but also looking at it realistically, okay, what is the plan? How can we we maximize this budget? Um, That's a very strategic way of approaching a design project. Um, as we create beauty right so you definitely have to play in both worlds
3: yeah no it's it's really important because it's funny I've been in the business almost 25 years Mm -hmm. um, and I come out of a business which was merchandising a lot of people go I came out of fashion I came out of fashion too but I came out of the merchandising side meaning I was a buyer I was a divisional I was a GMM um, of major department stores and you know Boutique. so I worked for people like Macy's J crew, Lord and Taylor coach, um, duty free stores which took me around the world um, I make that point because as a merchant um, your job is not only to find the right thing at the right time but it is to make money mm-hmm. and so making money you don't talk markup you talk margin mm-hmm. you talk gross margin um, mm-hmm. and beyond you go into profit and loss and EBITDA. Mm-hmm. And so, for you know, almost in this business 25 years, I have been running around like an interior designer. Like it's all about my ego. Look at what I've done. Look what I made beautiful. And I was like, "Wait a minute! I know how to be an entrepreneur. I know how to run a business." Um, but you know, I underscore that point because I was running around, letting my ego drive me down my path as an interior designer and not letting my business sense tap in. And so there's a really fine balance that we have to play because like you, I'm right brain, left brain, and I could be either, or, you know, some people are right brain, left brain, but they're more left brain or more right brain. Um, The difference is, as you said, linear on that left brain, but it's really that irrational side of design that we have to get comfortable with. And so when I'm in my design headset, I have to be totally irrational. If you want my best work, I'm not thinking about dollars and cents. I'm thinking about creating things that people haven't thought about or being moved by the environment. Those are irrational thoughts. And for me to get to the best solution, I've got to be free flowing. Um, But there are other days when we're working budget, I got to be very rational.
2: Right, right. So so I think then we find this balance because I'm the same way. Like, it's like, let's, and I have even with clients, you know, the balloon in the string analogy, right? Like let's let's float up into the clouds, like let's go for it all. But then we've got to look at it and bring it back down to the reality, right? Of what right. is possible in this moment, right? So we do think of far out solutions and put costs to it. And then we'll re, re, you know, reverse engineer to get right. to a place that it really is feasible. So, you know, at first though, I would get disappointed. Did you ever do that? Like you think of Meaning this- when okay you start to ebb it down? Application, you know, and it's like gonna be far out. Uh, you maybe think of it when you say you're ego driven because this is happening to me and it's like- no we've got to do this and then I was like no right. we don't you know that's not how right. I'm phrasing it right but in my head I'm like oh they're gonna love it they're gonna say yes you know right but then it comes down to it, it's like mm, no we're gonna cut that you know and you're like wah wah you know
3: so right but then that's when you have to balance it because yeah. maybe that's an important piece of the design and so maybe some other things can go. Right. So that's why I love working with the budgets also, because if you're looking at everything in oh, context wow. in yes. totality, mm-hmm. then look, here's what our total budget are. I'm still within the confines of yes. my budget. Yes. I'm just, you know, playing around with the dollars in different places.
2: And I've had to grow to that point. Cause at first I wasn't, I was showing this cost this, this cost that. <laughs> and that was like, oh no, you know, and I was like, but you don't understand. So we've gotten to the place where it's like, this is the budget for the project. And as long as we're under budget, we're good. You know, I might have spent yeah. $2 on that side table just so that I could get this light fixture that's going to make right. the whole room, right? So,
3: but you might have got lucky and found, you know, a million dollar table for $2. Right. Also, <laughs> so, true, true. but you know, I, I also believe in, you know, one of the reasons why I'm thoroughly inspired by nature is because it's not perfect.
4: Mm-hmm. You
3: know, it's really interesting that in this business where I always striving for perfection, mm-hmm. but when in fact the beauty is about imperfection. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why I love nature. When you look at it, it's not symmetrical. It's asymmetrical. Mm-hmm. It's not one color palette. It's a whole bunch of color palettes. Yeah. And so, you know, the opportunities are endless um, when you really let yourself go that way.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The wabi sabi design approach is Oh, you
3: yeah. know I love wabi sabi. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. my thing. When I stumbled on wabi sabi about 20 years ago, I'm like, that's <laughs> it. Oh my God. I've been trying to articulate this. Yeah. Yeah. But There's you know,
2: beauty in the imperfections.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I often tell people because they're like, what's Wabi Sabi? You know, it's the crescent moon versus the full moon. It's dry flowers versus fresh flowers. Um, it's, you know, walking into an old Japanese tea room and mm-hmm. um, the patina of the teapots that have been used for a 100 years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's all of that, which is amazing. So as a result of being inspired by imperfection or Wabi Sabi, I like to mix and match things. So I like expensive, inexpensive, nice. modern, classic, yeah. old, new. The reason is because it creates dimension in a space. So right. often we talk layering. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I go further than just layering. I want dimension. And how does that happen? It's kind of like music. You know, you have high notes and low notes. Um, you have half notes, quarter notes. Um, and as I always say, the most important part of all of that is the rest before you hit the next note is that, and then boom, you know, that's, that's the sensation that I'm trying to create in the environments that I'm working in.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely all of those design elements, variety, rhythm, harmony, balance. (laughs) Yes,
3: counterpoint, yeah.
2: Light, dark. Tension, yes. Yes.
3: And and, you know, lighting is such a big part of that because it affects our moods. Yes. And you know, often people think we're just trying to create beautiful spaces, um, meaning aesthetically, but in fact, there are certain things that you can do in a space Um, that may not have anything to do with a vase or a sofa that create the beauty and the health and wellness. So it's how much is in the space? How do things interact with each other? More importantly, how do those things interact with the people in those spaces?
2: Mm -hmm. Right. We are creating environments that are tailored, tailored to the unique individuals and also that are crafted with human nature in mind you know there are Mm -hmm. certain things that are universal right Mm -hmm. and so you know like you said color is one of them it's an art and a science but it definitely has connotation it definitely sets tone and mood and we can use that we're we're skilled scientists no and (laughs) and we are
3: people don't think of you as an (laughs) artist and a scientist but you are the true definition of interior design is about art and science
2: absolutely absolutely well i have so loved talking with you today is it over
3: already on well
2: hey if you have some more time i don't know i got
3: time i'm like (laughs) did we did we even scratch the surface yet we did not we
2: did not i must have you back we must Right. Grow in on one topic. You know, as I've been doing this and interviewing other experts and guests, I'm like, I really got to get down into... The education of it all, like, and take yeah. it apart and talk about design literacy at a time, you know? Yep. Because when I say I create sacred spaces, you know, I give you an overview of what that means that each room is designed for a specific purpose. That's what sacred means yeah. for a specific purpose. And we use the approach of sensory, you know, um, exploration and, and using your senses to design, but also very purposeful with color and nature and biophilic. Yeah. But um, teaching people step by step, I think would be really, really fun. And you've got to pick a topic and we're going to hanker in (laughs) on that one one day soon.
3: Yeah, no, I count me in because I was going to say, if we don't, if we don't get to do another podcast, we just got to hang out. Yes. (laughs) We're going to do that next week, right? (laughs) That's right. no that's right because there is so much to talk about because i love when people say you know sometimes people will slip up and go he's a decorator and i'm like yeah he is a decorator but he's a designer too Mm -hmm. and there is a difference but we use all of those talents on both sides of you know those categories to achieve um what we're doing or at least i do sometimes you're not a designer you are just a decorator um, but people don't really understand totally what we do and how intense it is, because we deal with humans. Yes, that in itself said. <laughs> I was going to say, difficult. and a psychologist.
2: <laughs> <laughs> humans
3: are involved. It's a it's a beast, yeah. but we love it.
2: We do, we do. There's no no stepping away. I've tried a couple times,
3: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you come back. But always. there's a lot of joy because. Right. You are interfacing with people, and if you can make them happy, oh, my God, it's such an amazing feeling.
2: I think for our last, well, our second to last question I will ask, and I'll explain, what drew you into the design world? Because I just mentioned, you know, I've tried to step away a couple of times. I've pushed Mm -hmm. pawn, but mine, I realize, uh, it ties back to an ugly duckling story. Okay. I was a very awkward black girl in middle school. <laughs> I um had gone to white preschool elementary my whole life and then my mom decided, hmm, maybe this young lady needs some culture. <laughs> And so you I went to to, pop that uh,
4: balloon. Boom!
2: Right, right. And so I went to a mixed middle school and we had some of my first black friends. Well, you know your cousins are always your first best friends. Mm-hmm. So I had family and I had church, but in a school setting, my friends were always yeah. Caucasian. And um, then being in the middle school with it was it was mixed. Add to the add to that picture that my grandmother would take me to Goodwill to shop for school clothes because she was very cool, mm-hmm. and I was not the cool kid. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, so I, I always felt like out of place, right? And but home was was sacred. Home was safe. It was where I was loved and nurtured. And my mom loved, she was a fashion design um, major in college. So my mom loved fashion. Mm -hmm. My mother too. And so, so yeah, so that's when we had our fun together. And so I definitely feel like, you know that is like core to who I am. This ugly duckling pathway that I can take discarded things and make them beautiful. And Mm -hmm. um, that was my time with my mom. That was so treasured. Um, What is your, what's your origin story? How did you get into design?
3: So it's interesting, like you, and I'm learning we have a lot in common. So my mother was a fashion designer by training, okay. um, retired as an artist, but she had a jewelry store for most of my life. So I grew up in the world of entrepreneurship. Didn't think I was an entrepreneur, by the way. I was Mr. Corporate. Uh-huh. I was going to go on to go to school and be a doctor, lawyer, anything but run my own business, right? Yeah. Um, so I ended up going to school. I ended up majoring at my school. It was called government. Same thing as poli side pre-reg for law school. Um, one of my dear friends who was a couple of years ahead of me said, Mm-mm, don't waste your time going to law school. You're way too creative for that. Go do something else. And so I went down this path of retail, um, as I described earlier, merchandising. And it worked for me because it was right brain, left brain. So it was, you know, going into an industry where I had to buy and create plans. So I had to know what trends were right, Mm. but I also had to understand how to make money. So as I say, often we're like, you know, raving about, I know how to ID a trend. Well, I know how to get out of the trend before it ends. Mm. That's how you make money. Um, And so I had started traveling the world, um, I think because my mother was into fashion, I had grown up in that world. Um, Our furnishings were mid-century modern. Um, I had been exposed to art because she was an artist. She made jewelry Um, and I wanted to be creative but my mother was like, no, you need to be academic. (laughs) So that's how I ended up being right brain, left brain. I think intuitively, instinctively, I'm very creative but I learned to be academic. So I'm a very hard worker um, and I will work until I get what I want. Um, and so that took me to these different places. And I think traveling the world opened up my mind to, you know, I always say that, you know, we always talk about colonialism in a negative way. And I think there's one positive thing that came out of that and people are like, oh Lord, what? They taught us how to live with other things um, because they stole and borrowed other people's culture. And then they began to integrate it into their own environments right and so i like to be able to mix and match different cultures into one environment and that's the global but that's how i kind of fell into it i learned how to color by the best who are the italians um i was doing product development at the time and i was in and out of como um milan and so i love colors um i had this intuitive um way about me in terms of space and then the rest is academic you learn it
2: yeah nice nice so nice. here
3: i am but you know it's funny my mother loved going to the salvation army um and she called it el suave now, she <laughs> didn't just go picking anything she'd come back with some louis vuitton some right. Gucci, right. Hermes, uh-huh. you hermes know, so, you know, people would say, what's El Suave? I'm like, oh God, it's the Salvation <laughs> Army. <laughs> my grandmother so. called it the goodie store. <laughs>
2: instead
3: yeah. of <laughs> So th- it's
2: not
0: a bad thing, you know, and right, that's the right. mixing
3: and matching, right? You might mix your vintage Gucci from the Salvation Army with your out the boutique Gucci. Yeah, yeah.
2: agreed, agreed. I love it. Oh my gosh, too, <laughs> I Ooh. Well, Eric, how do you yourself play to your style and your your sense of need for luxury? What do you do for your own self-care?
3: Yeah, so um, I like to create environments that not only inspire me, but I think I might have heard you say this, they feed your soul, right? And so what does that look like? It's family portraits, it's books of... You know, things I want to learn or places I've been or never seen. Um, It's colors that bring me joy. Um, And so I always say, you know, after having worked in this business with people, it's really interesting how people are uncomfortable about expressing themselves in their house. And by that, I mean, if I like purple, I'm not going to put purple on my walls. What will people think about me? Who cares? It's your house. We'll find you the right purple. Right. Um, and so often I'm encouraging people to be courageous in their own home. And by that, I mean, create this space that brings you joy. And that's what I'm looking for. If you walk into my house, you'll, you'll definitely feel it. You'll be like, Oh my God, I like to sit on the floor. Mm-hmm. So people laugh. They're like, you got all this beautiful furniture on the floor. Why? Because that's where I feel comfortable. I get to look at my furniture. Mm -hmm. But it's not that I don't sit in it. It's just that I want an environment where it's floppable. You can sit on the floor on the furniture. Or maybe there's a space to dance.
2: Yeah, yeah, I love it. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for sharing this time with me. It has been really, really valuable. And Well,
3: thanks for having me. Yes. This was great.
2: Awesome, awesome.
0: Dorothy had it right. There's truly no place like home. But it's not just a place. It's a feeling. It's where we build our lives, raise our families, laugh, cry, make memories, grow old, host friends, share our lives through family dinners, watch the sunrise, relax, rest, make the most important decisions of our lives. Our home restores us as we try to live out there in this very crazy, chaotic world. Your home is the perfect reflection of what's going on inside of you. It's not just where we eat and sleep. It's sacred, your sacred space. It's where you create, grow, dream. It should be both your field and haven for everyday living. Homes are meant to be beautiful and livable, functional, organized, and warm. Have you ever walked into a home and you feel this incredible warmth, energy, love, where everything not only looks beautiful, but it just feels good? Like food for your soul. That's what true luxury means. That's what we help you do. Create sacred spaces for every member of your family. Whether it's a little nook where you can sink into a chair and get lost in a book. A screen porch where you can relax or host parties for hours. Your dream kitchen to whip up Saturday morning breakfast. Or helping your bedroom find that love again. We design magical sacred spaces that make you feel better. And do better out in the world. Because the truth is, you don't really just create your home, your home creates you. Start your design journey today with a complimentary discovery call by visiting nickyklugdesign.com forward slash consultation.
1: Today has been an extraordinary journey into the heart of design and entrepreneurship as we've had the pleasure of delving into the brilliant mind of Everick Brown. The pearls of wisdom he shared have undoubtedly added new dimensions to our understanding of creating sacred spaces. In this episode, Everick eloquently guided use through the delicate balance of artistry and business within the realm of interior design. His insights resonate deeply with the ethos of our podcast, emphasizing that creating sacred spaces is not merely about aesthetics, but also about navigating the strategic landscape of the design industry. Everick underscored the need for a comprehensive business plan, a nuanced approach to vendor relationships, and the cultivation of a design philosophy that transcends the superficial. One of the intriguing aspects of our conversation revolved around Everick's appreciation for imperfection and the allure found in asymmetry echoing the profound principles of Wabi Sabi. His passion for intertwining diverse elements, creating multidimensional spaces, and drawing inspiration from the organic beauty of nature adds a layer of depth to his designs that goes beyond the surface level of aesthetics as we meandered through the landscape of challenges and triumphs Everick generously shared his experiences as an entrepreneur in the design world the nuances of understanding human emotions decoding clients unique preferences and recognizing the transformative impact that thoughtfully designed spaces can have on our well-being were explored with insightful depth before we conclude Take a moment to ponder the wealth of insights shared by Everick Brown. Whether you're a budding designer, a seasoned professional, or simply someone captivated by the enchanting world of interior design, there's a trove of knowledge waiting for you to uncover and apply in your own creative journey. A heartfelt thank you to Everick for gracing use with his precincts and for generously sharing the pearls of his wisdom. And to you, our cherished listeners, stay tuned for more captivating conversations on the Create Your Sacred Space podcast. Until our paths cross again, may you continue to infuse intention, creativity, and love into the sacred spaces you curate. This is Nikki Klug, your guide in the exploration of the profound intersection between design and the human experience. Signing off. Remember, The stories we tell through our spaces have the power to shape our lives and the lives of those who inhabit them. Keep creating with purpose and passion.